the supremacy of Christ. This morning I was complaining about the, the parable that uh, Andrew left me with. <laughs> it was a difficult passage this morning. We had to work hard to get through it. Tonight I'm complaining because this passage has got so rich. There's so much in it. We could have a whole series just on that. I'm not quite sure where to start and where to finish. It's a, someone's described the Colossian letter as a Christ-intoxicated letter. It's all about Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Paul is saying that Christ must be at the centre of this Colossian church. And we're looking at this letter because we recognise that Christ must be at the centre of our lives and the centre of our church. The verses tell us that Christ must be first. Jesus is first in everything. So tonight, if you know this Jesus Christ, just enjoy all the things that we're going to say about him. Just appreciate them as we as I'm going to just go through them one by one. Appreciate again who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And if you don't know this Jesus, I hope that what you hear tonight, you'll get a glimpse of who Jesus is and that you'll want to get to know him more. Who is Jesus Christ? Let me just begin with a few quotations from different people. Mr. Packer from last century, he said, we are often pygmy Christians because we have a pygmy Christ. John Stott said, We either grow or shrink in Christ, as Christians in proportion to a vision of Jesus Christ. Someone else says, A vision of Christ is the secret of our growth and spirituality. So Paul is writing, as I said, this letter from prison. And he's possibly quoting, or he might even be writing, an early Christian hymn. Now, I can imagine Paul worshipping as he writes this letter. He's not writing a great theological treatise. It's coming from his heart, words of worship, heartfelt praise. It's a heartfelt praise of Paul who realised what Jesus had done, who he was, and this evening, that's what we're trying to capture. May we have that same experience as we go through this, these few verses. I'm simply going to go through the many phrases in this section. Paul writes in long sentences. In fact, I think the original, that part that we read tonight is one sentence. And it's all the way through there of putting, trying to get so much, it just keeps pouring out of him. Just in few verses, as I said, we could hold a, a whole series of that on that few passes, few verses there. So we're just going to look at the supremacy of Christ and just look at each of these phrases and see what it means for us tonight. It says, Jesus is the image of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. As we know, God's invisible. He is a spirit. In Jesus... The invisible becomes visible. The word image in Greek, in Greek thought, is a bit different to ours today. We imagine um, an image to be a copy of the original. 
In Greek thought, the word was used, uh, it pointed to a real counterpart of the original. The image is, the, as it were, the legal identification of someone else. It's like um, your signature or your fingerprint or nowadays your biometric details. So the image is the essence, the same thing as the original. So when the Son is called the image of God, all the emphasis is on the equality of the image with the original. Jesus Christ is God's equivalent in the world, the visible counterpart in human form of the invisible God. That's why Jesus, he said, he who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father. He said, the I and the Father are one. So to see what God is like, we must look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of God's essence. Jesus is the image of God's character. Jesus is the image of God's wisdom and power. So when we hear the words of Jesus, as we hear them from Scripture, we're hearing the words of God. When we see the actions of Jesus when he was on earth here, we see the actions of Jesus as he spoke and healed people and raised them up. When we see the attitudes of Jesus to people and to sin and to salvation, we see the attitudes of God. If I was trying to introduce a person to you tonight, I could stand here and tell you all about them. What they look like, how tall they are, whether they're fat or thin, whatever it may be. And that would give you some idea of what the person was like. I could tell you their name. That would help you a little bit as well. I might even bring along a picture and show you that's what the person is like. I could get my phone out and we could phone the person, we could hear them speaking. But the best way is if a person just walked through the door and I could introduce you to him or her, whoever it may be. You could shake hands and you could speak. In the Old Testament, we got a glimpse of what God is like. And through Moses, we got the laws that told us something about the character of God and what he was like and how he wanted people to live. The Old Testament prophets told us a little bit more. And then, of course, Jesus came. He came as a human being to show us what God is like. He not only shows us what God is like, he also shows us what man was meant to be. But we went our own way. There was the fall, we sinned, we went against God. Man was created in the image of God. And one day we'll be restored back to that fullness of that image. And that's perhaps something we can discuss Tuesday, Wednesday night. So Jesus is the image of God. He's also the creator, the son of the firstborn over all creation. Christ is the agent of creation, the one by whom all creation come into being. Remember John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was that word. It's interesting that uh, some of these early heresies, the, the Gnostic ones that 
that this developed into in Colossae. Uh, they had the idea that all matter was bad. They lived, they said the important thing is, is the spirit, your spiritual life, your thought life. And um, matter is bad. God can have nothing to do with it. It was the intellect that was important. That allowed them to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It could be immoral or anything I do with my body. It doesn't matter. It's the spirit that's important. And so this is why um, Paul's coming in here and saying, this son, Jesus Christ, he was the one who created the matter, the earth, Everything that we see. That allowed that, that, that allowed us to understand that all of creation, including ourselves and the world, is what God created through Jesus Christ and is part of his eternal plan of salvation. There's a phrase that you need to be a little bit careful with. It talks about Jesus being the firstborn over all creation. Not the first thing created. As some people, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses take. That's one of the heresies that we have today. They say, well, he was the first thing to be created. Um, and uh, he, he was not eternal. But that word firstborn is a title of honour. It refers to position or in a hierarchy rather than to time. It's not the first thing created. It's the first in rank and honour. The idea of firstborn is to do with position in relation to others. Remember Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, wasn't he? But Jacob received the blessing of the firstborn and was given the position of honour and authority as the firstborn. And here we have Jesus, who is the son of God, is the firstborn over all creation. That's the sense in which he is firstborn. Let's move on quickly. Jesus is the sustainer. In all things, in him, all things hold together. God just didn't create the world like a, a spinning top and set it going and leave it to its own devices. Uh, he's He's there. He influences over it. He's interested. He maintains it after he has brought it into being. He created the world. He sustains it. And he will bring it to a conclusion when he will create a new heaven and a new earth. A time when the earth will be redeemed from the impact of the fall. He's the image of God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. It says that he's the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church. Head of the body, director of the body. A body without a head is dead. The church is lifeless without its head, Jesus Christ. And this church is a new creation of Jesus Christ. He was the agent of creation. He is the agent of this new creation. His church, his kingdom that is being built um, we're going to sing a hymn at the end that says, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. She is his new creation by water and by blood. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for his life he died. 
You can see how much is in this passage. And that's just the first few uh, words that are in it there. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Christ was the first to be resurrected, wasn't he? He rose again on the third day. And his resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. There is nothing in life and death that can now bind him. And Christ is the source of the life of the church now that he is resurrected. He is the Lord of creation and he's the Lord of the new creation, his church, the resurrected community. And that's who we are. We were dead before Christ came into our lives and gave us new birth. Now we have a new life in Jesus Christ. An eternal life guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the firstborn from among the dead. He's not just risen. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then we have no hope. Might as well just go home. Our faith is useless. But Jesus is alive and will give us eternal life. And we can follow in his steps as the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus is supreme in everything he might have the supremacy. The Gnostics, again, just believed that Jesus was one of many. Jesus was not one of many. He was unique. He has no peers. He has no rivals, no successors. It said, in the next verse there, it says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Verse 19. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is fully God. Fullness means nothing's left out. Nothing more is necessary. One day we will recognise that fully. One day everyone in the world will recognise that when they have to bow the knee before Jesus. And everyone will then recognise that Jesus is supreme. Lastly, you'll be glad to hear, (laughs) there's one more. He's the reconciler, isn't he? It said, God was pleased through him to reconcile himself to himself all things. Jesus healed that breach between God and man. Reconciliation was purchased by his blood. Someone put it like this, the cross is the proof that there is no length to which the love of God will refuse to go in order to win men's hearts. If the cross will not waken them and waken love in men's hearts, nothing will. Christ will reconcile all things, all people, all of creation, all of his creation. And the aim of that reconciliation is to make us acceptable to God, to make us holy so that we can be with God, to make us pure. And he purchased that holiness for us at the cross. God initiated that reconciliation. Just as Paul said when he was writing to the Romans, he said, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. It was not when we fixed ourselves up and got ourselves ready for God. It was while we were rejecting him. It was then that Jesus died for us. So tonight, do you recognise this Jesus? The Jesus who is the image of God. The one sent to tell us what God is like. The creator and sustainer of the universe. The head of the church. The first one to be raised from the dead, guaranteeing our eternal life. The one who is supreme. The one who will reconcile us with God. So much in there, isn't there? I hope you've just enjoyed just letting that flow go through us tonight. And I hope it's brought joy to your heart to recognise again the supremacy of Jesus Christ. May God bless us as we do so tonight. Amen.